I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Hello, all you hopeful romantics, and welcome to What She's Having, presented by Meet Cute, where a glass of rosé isn't required, but it's certainly encouraged. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and my guest today is Corey Ray, an activist, actress, model, producer, and writer who helps break social stigmas surrounding transgender women. In 2009, she started her transition from male to female at the age of 15, and the following year became the world's first openly transgender woman to win the title of Prom Queen, a journey which is currently being turned into a feature film. Corey is contagiously kind and genuinely interesting, and that is why it is my pleasure to introduce to you all, Corey Ray. It's so nice to meet you. Likewise. Happy to be in touch with you and to meet you and be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I read Queen as it was making the Hollywood rounds when I was working for Rachel and Terry. So I have been a huge fan of yours for a long time. (laughs) That's so cool. It's so, that's, it's always, I don't think I'll ever get used to hearing like someone's read my story, like through the script. That's really cool. Well, it's a pretty wonderful one. Could you tell everyone about Queen? I'm dying to hear about it. Yeah, I'll jump right in. Um, so Queen is the screenplay, which is now being produced into a feature film based on my high school transition story, as well as being the world's first openly transgender girl to win prom queen. It's about my relationships with the town that I grew up in, um, of course, with my family and my friends and also with myself. And it's really the film, it will be the film and is the script and the story that I always wanted growing up. I really always idolized those classic late 90s, even John Hughes 80s films, but late 90s and early 2000s prom stories where you see the typical blonde, pretty popular, cool, rich girl getting the crown and, you know, whatever. And sometimes it's the underdog, but in any of those narratives, none of them had the the experience of a transgender person. And growing up, I thought, you know, the way to be validated or the way to, that I was going to be seen or accepted in the world was by being the pretty popular cool girl and the prom queen and and cis gender, you know, there was no representation for me. And that was hard on me growing up. And so the film is really for all the trans people that have come before me, for myself and for the trans kids of tomorrow, that they can see that the trans girl can get the crown and maybe the guy and have a happy story with the supportive family and a supportive school system because it it can happen and it is happening now. So that's a little bit about Queen and it's actually based off of my college admissions essay. I based a blog post on my college admissions essay. We based the script on the blog post. The film will be based off the script. So it's come a long way. So this has been your story to tell for a long time. Yeah. I read that you even put was it your Facebook name or your Instagram name? You were Corey Prom Queen Ray. 
throughout your high school experience? Why was specifically becoming prom queen so important to you? I think I just had already made such bold choices. Part of my being is just being a bold person and really doing what I want. That's what I did when I transitioned. I couldn't worry about what people were going to say. I couldn't worry about, you know, what the parents would do and calling my mom and telling her how dare she or any of those things, because why would I want to curve my life for anyone else? And so when I had already started to transition and I was growing out my hair, and at this point in the year, I was already probably wearing nail polish and a bra and mascara. People like knew what was going on. And I thought, why not just run for prom queen? Like, literally, why not? Like what I get no and I get rejected and that sucks. Like, okay. So um, I just did it. I, I, I literally put up a Facebook status at the time saying, vote for me for prom queen and homeroom tomorrow. And it got around and people did it, whether or not they did it to make fun of me as a joke or because they actually supported me. It got me, you know, the nomination. And then I think once I got the nomination, people were like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. So I think they voted for me based on me being nice to them or them making fun of me, like whatever it was, it got me to the nomination and got me to, to the crown. So I'm amazed how that one act of boldness has sort of shaped even your career and life from just one Facebook post, like you said. That's life, right? Like one, one move can really affect everything like your whole world. I completely agree. And the fact that you gave yourself permission to do that, the, that boldness inside of you is, is so admirable to me. I'm kind of interested in this ideal of being a princess or a queen, just as women. What influences did you have early on that shaped that mindset? I, I think it's quite clear now that women have been conditioned to need a man, shining armor, all of that where I got those influences from are definitely Disney. I love Disney. Like my favorite princess was the Little Mermaid who quite literally gave up, you know, her home and her voice to have legs for a man. We, we take that in and we become conditioned by those influences. Same thing with those movies. You know, she's all that, never been kissed, clueless, mean girls, even legally blonde, you know, dumber, dumber down, blonde, skinny, all these things I saw, that's what the girl got. She got everything she wanted in the end. So I internalized that as, oh, well, I need to be not trans. I need to be what everyone sees as the ideal woman. And then maybe I'll find love or get prom clean or go to Harvard, you know, or whatever it is. And it's unfortunate. I mean, even Barbie, my whole world was Barbie. I asked for my mom for a Cinderella dress and Barbies at the age of two, which is a very young age for a trans kid to start expressing themselves. It's not abnormal, it's quite normal between the ages of two and four, but you know, I, I knew what I wanted. And my mom was like, okay. And I have to say like going back to, you paid me a compliment earlier, which I'm not very good at receiving compliments, but you said something about my boldness and it's really in part to my family. Like my mom was always my fiercest protector. So without that, I don't know if I would have been exactly me today just because I knew there was that baseline of support 
and the most important support being your mother. But I knew there was that baseline there, which helped me want to make those choices. And I knew like, if my mom said it was okay for me to transition and wear her clothes, then it's going to be okay. Like, I don't care about you, you know? So I knew when I got these influences from Barbie and all that stuff, like she gave those things to me, not that it was bad, but like, then I started idolizing Barbie. I loved Disney. I loved all these movies. So yeah, and I do attribute a lot of that media to um, crafting who I am today. It's interesting because as a cisgendered woman, I feel like I had a very parallel experience. Yeah, Uh, it's all women. Yeah, I remember Barbies lining my walls with the Disney movie playing and so much of what I was taking in, I'm still either rejecting or subliminally embracing every day. Mm, Interesting. With an audience to so many parents and children alike, specifically with Disney, what kind of story would you want them to start telling? Um, I think Disney's actually been doing a fairly decent job recently in the past couple of years. Moana's great. You know, we we have some great movies out now. I love Moana. Yeah, but... Of course, I think that the trans, and this goes for binary trans people and for non-binary trans people, the narrative isn't there. And I think we're starting in Hollywood, which is where I believe most things start, to get to a place where we're telling those stories, but we're not. So I think for me, the simple answer is we start creating and we uplift those that are creating and we buy from those that are creating like we buy my scripts we buy someone who's trans um you know their novel to turn into a film or their screenplay and yeah I think it really starts with the industry opening up and purchasing from us and hiring us not just behind the scenes but also in front of the scenes people need to see actors of the LGBTQI plus experience and of the BIPOC community, of the AAPI community. You know, we need to see, like the one of the reasons why Crazy Rich Asians was such a phenomenal film, it was like the most Asians who are playing Asian roles in one film at a time. There was no whitewashing, like, it was phenomenal. And we got to see like such a wonderful, happy story. Like we didn't really get that before. Like we need these stories to be told so that other people can feel like they can connect to that. So it's about the industry really getting ready to take the risk of losing their middle American market or their global market and making stories that need to be told. And I think that's why Queen is going to get made. And that's why we partnered with the production company that we partnered with, because they are telling a variety of different stories, all different, that are at the end of the day are just good for people and good for the world and, and progressing uh, the narratives of inclusion. It's Red Crown that acquired Queen, correct? Yes, they did Beasts of No Nation. Like it was really thought provoking and um, Honey Boy was thought provoking in a much different way. You know, Shia LaBeouf's film about, Shia LaBeouf wrote it about his own life and then starred as his own father. And just very cool films. Um, That was obviously about abuse and growing up as a child actor from a poor area. Yeah, they just make very different films. Different in the sense of not all their films are the same type of thing. And that's exactly what I want from Hollywood. We We already have enough of, you know, the pretty blonde stories, why, you know, what's to say we can't have like the pretty black girl story, the pretty Asian girl story, like where are these things? Like, what do you think is so wonderful, but it was written by an Asian writer as to all the boys I've loved before. Like that's mm. a Asian actress in a lead role with an Asian American family and a white boy as like the lover and also a black boy as the other lover. And like, that's diverse, like that's cool. Where is that? Like, I want more of that, you know? I agree. I mean, I 
read or overheard at a party who knows where I get my information at this point, but (laughs) that they had to fight to keep that family Asian, despite the source material. I love watching John Corbett and Lana Condor in that movie. And they're, they're beautifully, you know, mixed family. I'm so interested in that story. And the fact that anyone would question that in this day and age blows my mind. Especially because it was the writers, I think it wasn't her experience. I don't remember if it was her experience specifically or just like something she like wrote based on some, some something of herself, but like, why would they whitewash? That makes no sense. Also, I always just see him as Aiden in, in Sex in the City. Like, right? Yes. Like, I he's always Aiden to me. I, oh, I have such a heart for Sex in the City. I read in, um, on CoreyRay.com and you're allow me to reintroduce myself that your first dream was actually to become Samantha Jones, who's Kim Cattrall's character from Sex oh. in the City. Yes. What excited you about her? Good segue. That was the perfect segue. (laughs) You know, Samantha is bold and does things for herself and is the most honest, genuine, and authentic character on that show. She's the one in that show that really knows herself, Mm. has a career, is not only just sexually explorative, but it's for her. She owns that and harnesses that power. And she was hot. And it sort of attracted the career to me and attracted Samantha Jones to me, all of it, all, everything about her. And the fact that like, I also have quite the sexual sense of humor and I'm a, quite a sexual being, which I don't share very often on social media, but um, that's, that I felt she was a bit of me. Well, feel free to let it fly in here if you'd like. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> No, you know what? I loved that Samantha never apologized for herself. No. She she would maybe make amends if she had wronged anyone, but she never apologized for who she was on the inside. We just saw her grow. And I think that was so incredibly empowering. I'm devastated. She's not going to be in this new reboot. I know. I like, it can't really be Sex in the City, but we'll see. We'll see. I would love to be cast as like a younger Samantha Jones in that series. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, I am predominantly interested in playing roles that are either cisgender or there's no storyline about them being cis or trans. Like, you know, it's not like said like, yeah, I grew up with cis experience. or Yeah, I grew up with trans experience. Uh, Just a role. I think for me as an, 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 a new budding actress in the industry, because I haven't been acting for that long. For me, the dream roles are something like a Samantha Jones character or a James Bond girl, something where it is hot and fun and not have anything about my transness so that when people see it, they're like, damn, she's hot she's or she's funny or I loved her in that rom-com or whatever that, you know, whether it's an action or a rom-com or whatever, I want them to walk away and be like, oh, she's trans? Cool. Not about the sadness of being trans or, you know, I want to really stick to fun roles. If it's a trans role, that's great. That's, I still need to represent the community, but I am looking for more cisgender based roles or roles that have nothing to do at all with the background of how you grew up. I love that. And I think we need to start an online campaign right now for you to play the next Bond girl. I would I would love that. Well, you've said you want to be a sex symbol who demands respect. How are you currently pursuing that legacy? Did I write that in my first post? That's so funny. Sure did. Is that still true then? Maybe I should ask Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We are so quick to 
sexualize women, period. Even like, I don't know if you saw the free Britney doc, but like that host who was like talking to Britney when she was four being like, can I be your boyfriend? I was like, dude, you're 85 years old. She's seven and a half. If that, like it was wild. Like we sexualize women. And once women are sexualized, we lose respect. Like think of OnlyFans. Like the second someone says they're on OnlyFans, we're like, ew, you're on OnlyFans. I lose respect for you. When someone's just trying to get the bag, they're just trying to get the money. I think Cardi B is someone interesting. Like she's all about sex and somehow we still respect her. Well, uh, what do you think needs to change in, in terms of our current gender dynamics for that to be a reality? I know small question. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much that needs to change. I think of social media because it's the most accessible and it's what all generations are digesting and we have a standard on social media that's starting to be broken of like women posting versus men posting as in their bodies or men can post without makeup but women can't feel comfortable post i mean i do can't feel comfortable posting without makeup or face tuning or like photoshop which like i really pride myself on not doing like things like that which is fine like to each their own so I think it's about making sure that we like support these images, like also like with nudity, like men can be topless, women can't. Men who are heavy, like they have tits, they have bigger tits than I do. Why are their fin tits on Instagram? Ew. But you don't want to see my perky little titties? Like something's wrong with you because you're sexualizing it. You're sexualizing my perky little titties. Why can his be on Instagram? So it's just small things like that that I think is gonna be the best solution now and then also film and TV. But social media is more shareable, it's more digestible, more people are on it. Not every single person's gonna see the movie or the TV show, but a lot of people are gonna see a reel or a video or a picture. And I think it's just about like us taking a stance and like posting without Photoshop, posting without Facetune, posting makeup, posting your tits, like do whatever you want and just demand respect at the same time. Probably easier said than done, but I don't know. I don't really have a solid answer for that, I suppose. Uh, I wanna affirm you and say you did. I've never thought of social media as the outlet for change, but you're absolutely right. In addition to just having a wider audience, I'm thinking about the age that it reaches can be a lot younger. You know, if you're watching Breaking Bad, you're not necessarily gonna get the 10 to 14 year olds in there. And if we could make this grassroots change starting from a younger age. Well, that's what what I meant about accessible. Like anyone, old or young can get on it. And now they're like thinking about making an Instagram for kids. Everyone's on Instagram. Everyone's on TikTok. I'm curious, are there any leading ladies that you're wanting to emulate now? Ooh, always Blake Lively, always. Ooh, Um, is it the Serena Vanderwoodson of it all or real life? It's It's the Serena Vanderwoodson of it all for sure that got me, that hooked me in. But she's one of my style icons. I really have a lot of respect for Blake Lively for being that sexy, sophisticated woman who isn't all over social media, isn't doing the most. She lives a nice life. She's You can tell she's modest and genuine. She loves having babies and being married. And like, plus the fact that she always styles herself. She has a fantastic taste. So she's one of my icons for sure. So is, um, I love Cameron Diaz, who's not really in the spotlight as much anymore, but Cameron Diaz for me 
especially like the mask or something about Mary or the best friend's wedding. Like I love classic Cameron Diaz, Charlie's Angels, Cameron Diaz. I also really love Victoria Beckham. I just, I love, and I'm seeing it now. Like it's just a, for me, I guess it's not about being overtly sexual. Like Samantha Jones was overtly sexual, but she wasn't too overtly sexual. And I guess that's what does it for me. That's what I like. Uh, You know, the Charlize Theron's of the world. They take good roles. They don't take every role. They are modest people in real life. You know, they're not fame chasing or clout chasing. They're just being and they're talented actresses and they've got style and grace. And that's what I like. I, I really idolize golden age of Hollywood and real talent and real beauty and all of that. And all those women can really rock a pantsuit like without a shirt underneath. Oh, yes. Power. When you brought up Cameron Diaz, I'm thinking she was kind of one of those first beautiful blonde women that you were hitting on before that said, I'm also hysterically funny. Yes. And not afraid to just throw myself into any role and let people laugh at me. Yes, exactly. She was funny. She was cool, but she also did action, but she did rom-coms. Like she is such a wonderful example. And then look at her in real life. She's scandal less. Like there's no scandal about her. She's living her life. And I, and I think that we think women can't be funny or they can't be smart and beautiful and funny. All of those things. And I'm over here like, I think I'm the full package. Like, I don't know. So uh, me too. I mean, do we really think women can't be funny or have we been told women can't be funny? I think we as a society think because we have been told and conditioned. Thank you for, thank you for that. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's something I still continuously have to teach myself. We're all just going through this journey now. Like we're definitely not at the end of it. We're all just starting to be woken up the past five years, but definitely the past like two or three We've been really waking up to all of this. And I think on the daily, we'll realize more and more, more things that we've been conditioned to think about ourselves. And for me, as a woman of trans experience, you know, walking, talking, gestures, fashion, hair, I mean, everything about you going through that transition experience, you feel you have to be woman, but like, what is woman? Why did I have to you know, at one point I was going through vocal feminization therapy because people were like, oh, you'd be the most passable if you, you know, really worked on your voice. And I'm like, why? Like, this is just, it's my voice. Like, it is what it is. People either think it's sexy or they're like frightened by it. Like, it is what it is. Just like certain things that we've been conditioned as trans women and as women in general to be so that we can feel validated or accepted or like to get the guy. I think a lot about what we've been taught is that we need to be able to attract a man for protection and security and safety. But like, I'm not a caveman. I'm like a woman in 2021. Like I can take care of myself and make my own money and get a security system. Right? Yeah. Why do I need a man? I mean, I can think of some reasons, but. (laughs) Well, Julianne Huff came on here. She was my first guest and she told me it's not that I need a man. It's that I choose a man. And that's been sticking with me. It's not that like we can't have our partners and enjoy, embrace our sexuality and embrace love in general. It's that we are empowered and choosing it. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. It's just because I want it. Like that's just something I would like, like a handbag or something. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you famously attended the Golden Globes in 2019 with Amber Heard, right? Oh, I did. Yes. How did that come about? Oh, gosh. Um, so classic L.A. story. 
working at a job I hated in hospitality. And I worked with Whitney Hurd, who's Amber's sister. And I did not know that Amber was her sister, but Whit and I really got on, like we came really close and saw a picture of Amber, knew of Amber or something through, through Whitney and recognized her just from being Whitney's sister outside of the place that we worked at. And I was like, hey, you're Whit's sister. And Amber was like, uh, wait, yeah. Like it was, I think she was caught off guard by being called Whit's sister and not Amber Heard or something else. So uh, it kind of bonded us. And Amber, I was writing an article about people taking fashion risks for award season. And Amber had just gone to the premiere of Aquaman in London wearing a vintage Versace swim cap and gown. And I texted her, I was like, hey, are you going to any award shows this season? She's like, yeah, I'm presenting at the Golden Globes. And I said, oh my God, can I interview you about what you're wearing? And she's like, I have a better idea. Why don't you be my date? Uh, are you serious? She's like, yes, go, go to my house, go to my closet, pick out a dress and come with me. It's Sunday. And this was Thursday or Friday. So you shopped Amber Heard's closet for your Golden Globes look? I did, which by the way, is like a whole room that is a closet. But yeah, it was amazing. It was unbelievable. Her, she's got the most incredible clothes. And um, I wore a custom Alice Temperley that she had made for her and from Temperley London. And it was just an unreal experience, like really once in a lifetime, unreal experience. So yeah. Did you guys wear the swim caps or like- No, no swim caps were had, um, but we <laughs> did wear, you know, um, we wore Time's Up ribbons. You know, Me Too is, of course, very important to Amber. And yeah, we just had a really good time. It was really cool. And when women lift other women up. Yeah, that's the thing about her. I'll just say, like, I know there's a lot going on in the world with her. But um, I will just say, like, when she finds women that she's like, yes, like, she does everything in her power to uplift them. And like, that's what really, I think, draws us to each other is we really believe in each other and want to uplift each other. And I agree with you, like what's going to make this new world go around is women standing up for each other and really fighting for each other. And I think a lot of the reason why women have had so much infighting or issues in the past is because we have been conditioned to compete for that security and safety, whether it's through a partner or whatever it may be. Like there's just so much competition. I think that's the only thing really standing in the way of women really all supporting each other because we don't all support each other really, but some do. I think sadly it's a learned skill as opposed to an inherent one. Like kids love each other until they learn about what makes the other kid different and then gossip. Or they overhear their parents talking about the other parent. That's exactly because, and I say that because of my own experience being trans, I was happy to like play makeup and dress up with all my girlfriends. But when I get picked up and I'd have to hear my mom being told that I made the mom uncomfortable by playing dress up or playing with makeup with their daughter. Well, you've spoken a lot on how People Magazine published a story about the journey of a transition that sparked your own realization about your identity. Can you share how trans representation and entertainment and media shaped your identity pre-transition? Yeah. I mean, that People Magazine was really the turning point of my entire existence. Oh. It was an article of a female to male transgender teenager. And he had said in the article, I actually don't know if they go by they or he, but he had said in the article, I'm trans and I'm trapped in the wrong body. And that's when I finally found a term that made me realize who I was. Because before that, I thought I was the only person on planet earth who felt that way. 
how, I mean, how could I have known? There was no trans representation. There was no cartoon or movie or, or billboard or anything that talked about trans in a good way, at least, or for a kid to see, you know, I'm sure there were, you know, films like Boys Don't Cry and stuff, but I wasn't seeing that at four years old. And so I didn't know that being trans was possible. And I was really, it weighed on me. Like, why wasn't I considered a girl? And, and all those things that you hear trans people talk about. And so the lack of representation affected who I was because I didn't know who I was. I felt like one thing, I was told I was another, but there was no way to describe that feeling. People told me I was gay. I didn't feel like a what I thought of as, a, of as gay is a guy liking another guy. And I felt stuck and trapped. Not trapped in the sense of the wrong body because I don't think that's the right verbiage or, or sentence anymore, but trapped in the sense of just what am I? Uh, and I say not, I'm not trapped in the wrong body because like I wasn't born in the wrong body. Like I'm trans, like that's real. Like, that's not something made up. That's not something that I just decided to do because I wanted attention or I was afraid to be gay, like everyone said in high school. I'm trans. Trans people have been around since the beginning of time. There's actual facts of that. I'm not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So for me, not having that representation meant that we didn't exist. And to have a digestible trans narrative for children so that if they can identify who they are at a young age, their transition, their whole life will be not the easiest, but easier. And that's how the death rates and the depression rates and all of these suicide rates go down. Did that answer your question? 100%. Okay, good. I have some audience questions. Would you mind? Oh, no, not at all. Lorena in Idaho would like to know what other trans performers in the entertainment industry are creating work we should give our attention to. Oh, uh, first and foremost, just because she's directing and everything else is Janet Mock, who's the first trans woman and I believe trans woman of color to have a deal with Netflix. She is directing so much, obviously pose and writing and all of that. Um, Laverne Cox is always amazing. Disclosure Doc. If no one has seen Disclosure Doc on Netflix, it is the best documentary I've seen, not about what trans is, but how we've gotten the stereotypes and the stigmatizations of trans people through film and TV. Jazz Jennings is great. Gigi Gorgeous is amazing in the social media world. And um, my personal favorite trans icon period, who's no longer with us, but her name was Christine Jorgensen. And it's a role I would love to play when I'm older. Christine Jorgensen was the first transgender celebrity in the 50s. Um, she had got, she was a, in the army, went abroad to Europe, transitioned. Actually, mistakenly, all the reports said she was the first to have surgery, but she was not, Lily Ebb was. And she came back to the States and she was a total celebrity here. And she was on all the talk shows. She's had books and movies about her. And people don't really know about her. And she was the first transgender celebrity. And she just had a way about her and quick wits and a nice candor about her on talk shows when there was a lot of hosts who would say transphobic things, malicious or not. And I know she's not creating content, but I love people to know about her because I'm very passionate about her. And I don't know if I'm her reincarnated or something, but I just love Christine Jorgensen. Danny from Paducah would like to know what is your personal favorite meet cute moment? I, I will say I'm a meet cute queen. I have lots of them. 
my absolute favorite because it was the most rewarding relationship wise was um, going into my senior year of college. I was walking through Penn Station and kid my age leaning on a staircase in Penn Station and he was waiting for a train and I was just coming off of one and I like looked in his eyes and I said that's the best looking person I've ever seen in my entire life he must have a girlfriend and we just looked at each other and smiled and I was walking through Penn Station and couldn't stop thinking about him and so I went to a little police desk and asked for a pen and paper wrote down my name and number walked all the way through Penn Station walked down the stairs tapped him on the shoulder handed him the piece of paper smiled said absolutely nothing and walked away And one other one that's really quick is uh, another guy who meant a lot to me. We, I was like volunteering for a Jewish camp or something. And I was putting up posters in my little small town that I grew up in. And I walked into a Starbucks and I, and there was a guy who was having a meeting with a parent that I knew from our town and her kid. And he just like was looking at me and I was looking at him and I decided to just like wait on the Starbucks line to see if his meeting would wrap up. And I could tell he was wrapping up his meeting for me. I go put up the bulletin board. By the time I'm done, the meeting is wrapped. He stands up and he goes, hi, I'm Andrew. And I was like, hi. And we just like met and dated off and on for like a year. And it was, it was one, it was awesome. So those are my two favorite meet cutes, but yeah, thanks for, that was a good question. I like that one. Yeah. But in both of those, you going back to this boldness thing, you made those moments happen. You've got to go for it. You can't wait for things at all. I was never discovered as a model in a shopping mall, you know, as much as I always, every time I went to a shopping mall, thought I would be discovered and still do. Every time I walk through the grove, I'm like, am I being discovered today? But, you know, I don't. And those stories are very few and far between. The difference between people who are successful are the ones who do it and the ones who don't. So you just got to do it, right? It's so true. Dating and my own love stories have taught me a lot about how the world thinks and what people are afraid of. And it's not necessarily they're afraid of what they want. It's afraid of disappointing or fear of others, uh, their family or their friends, specifically when dating a person of trans experience. It's taught me a lot about how people think. You know, I'm quite lucky not only to have meet cutes, but to have, I've fallen in love once. And that one time with that guy I met in the train station and he never knew I was trans until a year after we broke up it taught me that I could be loved for me, that someone could really genuinely like me and think that I'm like adorable and beautiful and sexy and like all these things and, and believe in me and want the best for me. And, and it brought out a very soft side of me. I'm a pretty harsh person and it really brought a softness out of me being with him. And it made me feel like the girl I always wanted to be because trans or cis, a lot of people will go in this world and never fall in love or have it be real. And I'm very lucky, especially as a woman of trans experience to have experienced that. You've made it to the lightning round. Are you game? Okay. (laughs) Would you rather be unknown or infamous? Infamous. What is one thing on your bucket list? Travel Italy top to bottom. Are you a night owl or an early bird? Night owl. Kate Hudson or Goldie Hawn? Oh, come on. Okay, Kate Hudson, just because of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Biggest guilty pleasure? Uh, sweets and weed. And what is the greatest act of love you have ever witnessed? My mom supporting me. That's a big one. 
Yeah. We ask everyone that question. I'm always amazed how often it goes back to a parent's love. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's something to be said for sure. Well, Corey, I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my God, of course. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I meant what I said. I could have talked to Corey for hours. If you want to reach out to Corey, visit her on Instagram at I'm Corey Ray or her website, CoreyRay.com. Today, Corey and I talked about Moana, The Little Mermaid, Cinderella, Legally Blonde, Clueless, 10 Things I Hate About You, Sex in the City, Crazy Rich Asians, and I'm still going because Corey had a lot to say. To all the boys I loved before, Beasts of No Nation, Honey Boy, Framing Britney Spears, the documentary, The Mask, Something About Mary, My Best Friend's Wedding, Charlie's Angels, Gossip Girl, Boys Don't Cry, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Girl knows how to make a reference. If you are in the mood for other contagiously strong women, I encourage you to head over to Meet Cute and listen to another guest of ours, the brilliant Julianne Huff in Transformation. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe what she's having on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to us on Instagram at Meet Cute or on Twitter at Listen Meet Cute for any questions, stories, guest suggestions, or favorite Meet Cute moments. Thank you again to Corey Ray. I could not adore you more. And until next time, I'm Ashley Eskew and... I'll have what she's having.